Good evening, church. Good evening. It's great to see you here this evening. Uh, if you're outside and uh, coming in for the service, feel free to start making your way in. We're about to start. It's great to see you here to worship our God, to celebrate Him for all He is and for all He's done. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, we come into your presence. We come into this place as your people, saved by your grace, saved by your mercy. Because of that, we respond. We come in worship. We come in praise. We come to glorify you and give you adoration that is due to your name. So, Lord, may you be blessed by our singing, uh, by our music, uh, by the words that we, that, by the music we play, by the words that we sing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing some songs of worship. Oh my 
Jesus who died for our sins, Jesus who was raised to life for our justification. So the next few songs we're going to sing are about Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. Let's have let's focus on that. Savior's love for me. 
groves of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and i will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on jesus God who's redeemed us. And so God, we give you praise. We give you glory and adoration that is due to your name. Thank you for all you are. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we take a seat, turn to someone around you, give them a smile, give them a wave, say hello. Good afternoon, good evening, Subi Church. It's good to see you all. And what a wonderful time to be together and to be praising the name of the Lord our God. We praise his name. That's why we, um, we're learning about his name because that's who he is and that's who we praise. Remember, we've learned that he is holy and this, this month we're going to learn that he, or we're going to remind ourselves that he is good. So... Let's do um, scripture at Subi, and I reckon that you can remember the last two months. Let's do it together quickly, shall we? All right? Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. Those who know... Is anyone talking out there? I'm not hearing you. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have taken those who... Seek you. Love you, seek you. That's good. All right. And then last month, this should be easier. The kids will help you. Just put your ear down to one of the kids. They'll know. Okay. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But just, sorry, but just as he who is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay. God is holy. This month... We're going to learn that God is good, remind ourselves that God is good. Psalm 119, verse 68. The words are up there. Let's read them together. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good, and what you do is good. 
teach me your decrees. And um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this, this uh, verse and this attribute of God. In Psalm 84 verse 11 it says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is, whose walk is blameless. So God doesn't withhold anything that's good for us from us. Do you believe that? Maybe more sometimes than others, all right? When you get the big pay bonus, you believe that. When you have to suffer trial, maybe not so much. But he is a good father. In Matthew 7, we're reminded that he, he is a good father. He gives good gifts to, your, to us, his children. But if God is good and all he does is good, how do we reconcile that with the suffering and the trials that we experience from time to time? Maybe the trials and suffering that you're experiencing right now. Well, he says that his gifts, he gives good things and he, these don't always seem like they're good at the time. He allows the difficult things and he uses even the very painful things, maybe even our painful mistakes that we make and suffer from because of our own, our own you know, faults. He uses them to work out his good in our lives, to shape us more into the likeness of Christ. Do you believe that? Yeah? I've experienced that and God's still at work in me and I hope he is in you. And um, you know, he does all things for our good. Let's believe that. Romans 8.28, he, he works all things... Um, for good, for those who love him. And a few verses on from that, it basically says this. He says, God gave us his best, he'll also give us the rest. That's not a direct translation. of course. That, that's a, my translation. But God gave us his best and his son, he'll give us all the other things that we need. So we can trust our God, our good father. Um, and that's why we are learning to know his name, because when we know how who he is, that he is holy, that he's good, that he's sovereign, he's in control, he's, he's um, faithful. We're going to learn all those things over the next few months. Then we can trust him. Yeah? We can trust him. Let's do it together. Psalm 119 verse 68. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Okay. I was thinking about that. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your law. Teach me, what, teach me how to be obedient. Teach me how to be more like Christ, and by his spirit we can do that. All right, got a few announcements before I do. It's time for Super Kids to exit the room, so I'm going to allow you to do that. Stampede. It's a happy stampede. I love that. Okay, I want to welcome you to Subi Church. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here, the interim executive pastor, and... Um, We're glad you're with us. If this is your first time, your second or third time, or your 30th time, we're glad you're with us. Please let us know you're here. Any of those above, let us know you're here. First, second, third, 30th. Um, You know the connect cards manually. Put them in the bucket on the way out on the right or do the uh, QR code. And let us know if we can be praying for you or if you want to know any information about Subi Church, please. This is now coming up to the time for offering. And... um, we get to do this, we get, back, get to give back to God. He reminds us in Matthew 6 that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And let's remind ourselves and remind us together that our treasure needs to be in heaven and we need to use the resources God's given us to provide for our family, our church, but for the work of God as well. And uh, in giving back to him, we're um, being obedient and uh, it's good for us. So let's um, pray for the offering right now. Father God, we thank you that um, you are good. 
and you give us all good things. And Lord, you even provide for our uh, physical, financial needs and um, not what we want necessarily, but what we need. And Father, you did not spare your own son. You will also give us all things, all things that we need. And we've experienced that and we give some of that back to you, Lord, as a, as a, as a way of worship and offering. And may these finances be used wisely by this church, by the leadership of this, this church, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom, both here and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Some upcoming events. Youth, sorry, young adults. Your lunch is, if there's any young adults here, they're usually on the next couple of services, but I'm sure there might be some here. I've met a few already tonight. Young adults, there's a lunch for you tomorrow, and that's at, um, after the 1045 service out at Matilda Bay. Bring your own lunch, hang out with other young adults, and uh, the weather's going to be beautiful. That was uh, an answer to prayer. God has been gracious to us again. Now, the hour of prayer is coming up, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, and we'd love for you to come. We need prayer. These pastors, David and Chin, who are preaching faithfully, they need your prayer. You know, our missionaries are out in the field need your prayer. This church needs much prayer. God is doing something here, but the devil doesn't like it. So we need to be praying that God would protect us, protect our hearts, um, that we would love one another, that we would serve one another. And so we need to be praying together as a church. Would you come, not this Wednesday, the one after, and would you come in person? We would love it if you could come here in person. I know we've had the Zoom connection, and if you can't be in person, we've still got that. But we would love to fill up that cafe with people, put extra chairs in there, and pray together. So are you going to come? Don't answer that question. Don't put your hand up. We'd love you to. We've got a um, leading family devotion seminar. That's coming up in a couple of Sundays' time on the 19th. And um, it'll be upstairs in the activity rooms. Pastor Chin will be running a one-off seminar for parents on how to lead family devotions. Parents are called to be the primary spiritual influence in the lives of their children. We recognize that many parents have the desire to lead devotions in their family, but they are unsure of how they can go about it. This seminar will give you, the parent, the confidence and recommended resources to, um, to go about family devotions. We'll also have a panel of parents to share their experience on the day. So you're going to have a whole bunch of wisdom there. There'll be lunch provided and a creche for the preschoolers. Space is limited. Please put on your connect card. This is going to be really good. It's really important that we disciple our children. It's not the job of the youth group. It's not the job of the church. It's your job primarily and, and the church is going to support you in that. Now, we've got a baptism coming up on the 19th. If you'd like to be baptised and learn more about that, please put on your Connect card. We've also got the opportunity for child dedications. If you would like to dedicate your child to the Lord before the Subi family and commit to raising them to know the Lord personally, you can't be sure of that, but you can certainly do a lot to help that, then please um, put it on your Connect card and we can talk to you about that and organise that. Now, as we have been doing over the last, or we started last week, we are um, doing a ministry highlight each Sunday. And this weekend we want to, or each weekend, and this weekend we want to highlight the small groups. Okay, I want everyone who's in a small group, no, I won't do that. I won't embarrass you, but we want you all to be in a small group. Um, if you're not in a small group, come and see me or Pastor Chin afterwards and would like to encourage you that. It's really life-giving. 
And if you're experiencing a small group that hasn't been life-giving, come and tell us about that as well. And we can try and steer and direct you into a life-giving small group. And um, let me just tell you what it's all about. So Subi small groups are an important part of our spiritual life here at Subi Church. The vision of our small groups is to build disciples of Christ in communities that grow, love and serve each other or together. God has not called us to live out a Christian life by ourselves, but rather he's called us to be part of the close-knit community of believers and small groups are a way that we can live out our Christian walk together. Each small group meets together regularly to study and apply the scriptures, to pray for one another, encourage one another in our Christian discipleship and also to serve one another. If you're not ready in a small group, we strongly encourage you to do it. As I've been saying, we've got a table out the back there. Please come and talk to us, put your name down, and we'll try and connect you into a small group. Another thing we've been doing regularly is the congregational prayer. And if you would, please bow with me and we'll pray together and bring some of the things that are happening around the world and even right here to the Lord in prayer. Shall we? Father God, we thank you that we can meet together as your church. This was your idea, your bride, and uh, your, the family you've given us, Father, the church. We thank you for this local representation of the church. And um, Lord, we, we, we've come to worship you. You are worthy of our worship. We've been reminded again that you are good. Everything you do is good. Lord, you're holy. You are faithful to us. Lord, you care for us. You are just. One day, Lord, you're going to make all things right. And we worship you because of that. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control. We thank you for sending your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Lord, you didn't stop there. Lord, you, you sent your Son not to just to die, but you, he rose again. In, in resurrection power, Lord, we can come and be... Um, with you in glory one day we will be we thank you father for the kingdom that we can be in already but not yet lord one day fulfilled one day in glory worshiping you around the throne and we can do that because of your son the lord jesus christ father we thank you for this world that you made it was actually spoken into existence by your son and we look around lord it's not it's, it's amazing an amazing creation but there's lots of things that don't look so good sin has tarnished it we pray for the rulers of countries, Lord, that you would bring conviction, that they would actually care for their people, Lord, that they would actually um, be responsible in leading their countries away from war, away from abuse, away from stealing from some to give to others, Lord, and that there would be honesty. Would you give us rulers that would acknowledge your name? Father, for places of war, would you bring peace? For places of famine, would you bring plenty? And in places, Lord, of all around the world, Lord, where there's heartache, would you bring the knowledge of Christ? Would you bring the love of Christ, and the peace that can be found only in him? Father, we pray for the many in different places around the world that are persecuted for their love for Jesus. Pray that you'd give them strength. Lord, I'm not sure if I've prayed that you should release them from persecution, but I do ask for that, Lord. But I know the persecution is causing them to be strong, growing them more into the image of Christ, giving them boldness. And then I'm reminded, Lord, that we don't have so much persecution here. 
May we also, Father, be bold and courageous while we have the opportunity and share your word. We pray for the, our nation, for our leaders, our governments, our bureaucrats, Lord, that they would lead this country wisely. Father, we pray for this state, for the government here, and we bring them before you, Lord. We thank you for those in government who love you and acknowledge you and are trying to bring about good and stand up against evil. We pray that you would give them success. We pray that you would sustain them. We pray for, we thank you for this community and our church. We thank you for our pastors and elders and congregation, Lord. May we continue to preach your word. Would you continue to work among us? We want to see a work of your Holy Spirit that we haven't seen before. Father, we want to see people come to know Christ and be discipled and grow in him. And we ask that you'd continue to do that. We pray for this service tonight, that you would give Pastor David wisdom, insight, recall, and that he would preach your word clearly to us and you would teach us through your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week's Bible reading is taken from Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. Please stand with me as we read God's word. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his div divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the pre present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Please be seated. Good evening, everyone. On Australia Day, two years ago in Brisbane, a drunk 17-year-old who was also drugged up to his eyeballs ran a red light in a stolen car. It didn't end well. The car struck and killed a young couple who were walking their dog. Matthew Field and Kate Ledbetter. Kate was pregnant with their first child. It's a picture of them. Here's Matthew proudly holding up the ultrasound of his unborn son, whom they'd already named Miles. Matthew and Kate's family were overcome with grief. Can you even imagine this happening in your family? But at the same time as them being overcome with grief, 
They were as angry as hell at the drunk driver. The father of Matthew said this. This was a low act, the lowest of lows, a dog act. The driver, who can't be identified because he was underage at the time of the accident, he was sent to jail to pay for his crimes. Uh, and he was sentenced to 10 years jail with a non-probation period of six years. But him going to jail to pay for his crime did nothing to appease the anger of the families. They were still as angry as hell. To pay for a crime is what we call expiation. Making amends for wrongdoing by the payment of a penalty. But the payment of the penalty by this man going to jail did nothing to appease the anger of the families. That requires propitiation. Propitiation means to pacify the anger of someone you've offended so they look upon you with favor. The prison sentence didn't achieve this for the families. They were still as angry as hell. Uh, the judge said this in his deliberation, no sentence will be adequate and can't do justice to the suffering you, the family, you, the drunk driver, have caused. We saw two weeks ago, we saw that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. The sins that people commit against God are not slightly displeasing to God. They are highly offensive to him and he is deeply, deeply angry. But the good news of the gospel, the centerpiece of the book of Romans, which we're looking at, the good news of the gospel is what we've just heard. God presented Jesus as a propitiation. Jesus on the cross turned God's anger away from sinners so that if you are in Christ, God now looks upon you with favor. What a turnaround because of the cross of Christ. Now, what does God's propitiation involve? We're going to have a look at that this evening. Uh, there are two points in my message this evening. First one is this. God says I'm right even when I'm wrong. Uh, you may have seen this image floating around in Christian circles. Has anyone seen this image around? Cross equals love. Uh, it started as a simple Easter uh, branding for one church's Easter services. 
but it kind of took on a life of its own and it became a worldwide movement. It was kind of seen across the skies, all over the world, written on the skies, in all sorts of ways. It even has its own emoji. Right? You know you've made it when you have your own emoji. Uh, the director of communications for this church said this. He said, I'd love to think that one day cross equals love is just what happens at Easter. As much as Easter is an Easter egg and as much as Easter is the Easter bunny, it's actually cross equals love as well. That's what I hope for. Now, cross equals love is incredibly catchy. And it's at the cross where we see God's love burn brighter than anywhere else, isn't it? God left the most glorious place in all the universe, his heavenly throne room, surrounded by heavenly beings and angels praising him for all eternity, and he traded that for the most shameful, humiliating place in all the universe, the Roman cross of torture, where he was surrounded by Soldiers beating him, religious leaders mocking him, the crowds laughing at him. And he did that for you and for me out of his great love. But while cross equals love is very catchy, the problem is, is that it is inaccurate. Cross equals love emphasizes only one aspect, one essential element of what happens at the cross, and it disregards the other equally essential element of the cross, which is justice. That's right, justice. And unless you have both those elements, uh, this is inaccurate and it's distorted and it's misleading now we don't want to go back to the practice of some Christians in the past where they accentuate the judgment of God and largely forget the love of God so that people walk around in dread of an angry God but the pendulum has certainly swung very much the other way so that now God's justice is disregarded in our passage today we read, God presented Jesus as a propitiation. It's not a word that we use very often. Anyone use that word this week? No, but earlier generations were very familiar with it. Earlier generations were very familiar with it. It was part of their normal vocabulary. To propitiate means... To pacify the anger of someone you have offended so they look upon you with favor. In short, to turn anger away. Uh, we, we, you'll, it's, in the, uh, it's throughout the Bible, but you may not have picked it up. For he, Jacob, thought, I will pacify, I will propitiate Esau with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. Perhaps he'll look upon me with favor. Uh, we see it again in Proverbs chapter 16. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will pacify it, will propitiate the king's anger, so that the king will look upon you with favor. 
And so in today's passage, God presented Jesus as a propitiation. It means that Jesus has turned God's anger away from us on the cross so that God now looks upon us with favor. Do you know the adjective used most commonly to describe God in the Bible? The one most commonly used? Holy. By far the most common description of God's character. Holy comes from the word meaning to cut off, to separate. separate. So God is cut off. He's separate from anything that is immoral, anything that is sinful, anything that is impure. God cannot tolerate sin and it automatically arouses his wrath. Uh, when someone is allergic to something, say bee stings or peanut butter, their body automatically reacts to that offending allergen, right? And, so, and they, they have a severe allergic reaction. Uh, for example, this guy here, he is allergic to bees. He's got a bee on his face. That's a problem. He tries everything he can to avoid the bee sting, but unfortunately, he gets stung by the bee, right? It's an allergic reaction. Uh, when we eat contaminated food, our stomachs automatically vomit the food up, right? I've got a picture of that. No, I don't. <laughs> Jokes aside, when God comes across evil, his automatic reaction is wrath because he is holy. He must respond to evil and sin in that way because he's holy. He always responds to sin and evil in that way because he is holy. But God's anger also arises from his love. His love for those whom he has created, but who have been hurt and harmed and abused and taken advantage of. See, God is deeply angry when a woman is physically abused, when she's sexually, sexually abused. He's angry that people's greed leaves others reeling in poverty. He's angry that porn demeans and objectifies people. God judges wrongdoing because he cares for the victims. The opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite is indifference. I don't care what happens to those who are hurt. So God is love. God is just. God is holy. He's all his attributes at once in their fullness. And so when God loves, he does it in a holy and just and right way. A diminished understanding of the character of God will lead to a, inevitably to a diminished understanding of sin and therefore to a diminished understanding of what happens at the cross. There was a movement in the 20th century, if you can remember that far back, by, led by a British theologian called C.H. Dodd. And this movement said that sin is, is the breaking of rules, it is the, the doing of bad things, but in no way, there was no sense in which sin was a personal affront to God, that God was angry in any way with our sin. The movement argued that propitiation, all right, so hopefully by the end of this talk you'll understand this word, they said propitiation was not necessary. 
It wasn't necessary to pacify God's anger. All that was necessary was expiation. All Jesus had to do was pay a penalty for our sins. He didn't need to turn God's anger away. The movement felt very uncomfortable with, the, with talk of wrath and propitiation. This is what they said. Isn't the concept of placating the wrath of gods with sacrifices a primitive pagan concept? A god who is mollified by throwing a virgin into a volcano? Haven't we advanced from these crude, unsophisticated concepts? Well, the way they've described it is a crude, pagan, uh, unsophisticated concept. But that's not the way that the Bible defines propitiation. Propitiation is not something that we do. It is something that God does. Human beings cannot turn God's anger away by the performance of rituals or by the offering of a sacrifice. Propitiation is something that God does. At the cross, God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it in his own self. It's God's work. God gave himself to us to save us from himself. Because God is holy, his anger needed to be propitiated. Because he is loving, he did the propitiating. See, if God loved me but just didn't like the things I did, then expiation would be adequate. But God was angry with my sin. Propitiation was necessary. And as a result of propitiation, God says, I'm right, even when I'm wrong. And if you're a Christian, God says you're right, even though you're in the wrong. C.H. Uh, Dodd, the guy that led that movement, he was the director of the panel which produced the New English Bible in 1961. Uh, it was a, it, back then, it would have been a big thing, a new translation for the English-speaking people. And his view was reflected in removing the word propitiation and replacing it with expiation. And this changes the entire meaning of the verse that we're looking at today, Romans 3.25, and it changes the whole meaning of the gospel. And cross equals love is a classic expression of the expiation gospel. The death of Jesus is presented as an act of love, yet without any connection to the holy wrath of God. According to cross equals love, sin is more a problem for us than it is for God. Right? Sin brings us consequences. But that's a far cry from what we've just heard in Romans 3.25. The emphasis is that sin is a personal affront to God. And it needs to be dealt with. And so, cross equals love, it de-emphasizes God as judge. And really only emphasizes God as love. One element of the two essential elements of the cross. Now, you may have heard of the saying, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. God loves the sinner, amen, otherwise I wouldn't be here. But the scriptures don't say that God only loves the sinner. 
Psalm 5, 5 says, You, God, hate all evildoers. God hates the sin, but he also hates the sinner who refuses to submit to Christ. And therefore, his wrath rests upon that person. The paradox of the cross is, as uh, Martin Luther put it, God loved us even as he hated us. That's what happened at the cross. He, his wrath was on us, and even though he hated the evildoer, he decides to love. Now, as a Christian, God only loves us. Right? Get, let's get that clear. God only loves us as a Christian. We are dearly loved. There is no wrath that remains on us because Christ has absorbed it on the cross. Now, some Bible translations like the NIV, which is the one that we normally use here at Subi Church. And so when you open this passage up, if you've got the NIV, you're not going to see the word propitiation. You'll see that in the ESV, which we read tonight. They've replaced the word with atonement. You'll know, you remember that word, atonement. Atonement means to make amends for doing wrong or causing offence. And so you can see they, with this word, they've tried to cover the idea of both expiation and propitiation. Atonement, if, if you want to break it down, it's at one -ment. one -ment was an old English word that means to unite. And so the word is trying to capture the idea that we were alienated from God because of our sin, because of God's wrath, but Jesus has united us. He's reconciled us. These, these words as we go through the book of Romans are really important as for a Christian. These are part of our vocabulary. These are words that we really need to work hard at, on, on trying to understand. So today, propitiation and atonement. Now, there's, comfort, there's discomfort sorry, for some Christians with the idea of God being wrathful. Mainly in the Western society. A lot of societies are not surprised at this at all. Uh, but in our Western society, some Christians are, are, are uncomfortable with the idea that God is wrathful. For example, the Presbyterian Church in the USA, Presbyterian Church of the USA, they fought over lyrics to the song In Christ Alone. Uh, they had refused to sing a particular line in this song. Can you guess what it is? Well done, Jenny. So till on that cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They said, nope, we're not going to sing that. Instead, they changed the line to the love of God was magnified, which is a beautiful line. But they refused to sing the original. And, and they wrote to the authors of the song and they said, look, we don't want uh, to sing this line you have copyright, so can we have permission to sing our version? What do you think the authors said? They said, sorry, this is what the uh, uh, Presbyterian Church said. The cross is not an instrument of God's wrath. We don't want to sing that line. The reply was, no, you mustn't change it. God's wrath and his love are not in opposition to each other. It is a dichotomy the Bible doesn't present. As we saw that earlier, the opposite of uh, God, opposite of love is not wrath, it is indifference. As a result, 
the song was kept out of 10,000 churches in the US. Now, when we downplay the holiness of God, ironically, we undermine the love of God. Because we fail to grasp the loving lengths a holy God went to in order to turn his anger away from us. God the Son lived throughout all eternity in the bosom of the Father, says John chapter 1. Meaning the Father and the Son are in the closest of intimate relationship for all eternity. At the cross, something happens that has never happened before in all of eternity and will never happen again. The Father turns his face away from his Son in anger. As the Son absorbs the wrath of God the Father for our sins. And this bond is fractured for the first time in all of eternity. And Christ is abandoned and he feels abandoned by the Father. And Jesus went to those lengths for you and for me. When you remove the holiness of God, you actually lessen and dilute the love of God. If we actually spoke more about God's holiness, we would also say much more when we spoke about his love. So God says I'm right even when I'm wrong. Second point, shorter. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. So we read in our verse, God presented Jesus as a propitiation to demonstrate his, well, cross equals love, we'll say, well, there's only one thing he demonstrates, and that's his love. But what does Paul say here? To demonstrate his righteousness. That was one of the essential elements of the cross. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Christ. Now, what does this mean? Let's try and uh, simplify this down. In the Old Testament, we see God's, uh, God in his great mercy. We see God forgive and save unrighteous people, don't we? But where's the justice in that? How can God do that and still be righteous? Well, let me give you a few examples. Noah and his family are rescued on the ark. But by rights, they should have perished as well, right? Because they were no better than anyone else. Why did God allow that? Abraham, he was a worshipper of false gods. He practiced things that were displeasing to God, like all the people around him. But God plucks Abraham out from everyone else and says, you're my friend. David commits adultery. He commits murder. The law says you've got to be stoned. But when God exposes his sin through the prophet Nathan, Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. So in these moments, God appeared to be unjust. How can you do that when they've done the wrong thing? God was not sweeping their wrongdoing under the carpet what he was doing was deferring payment until the cross when Christ's propitiation would cover their sins 
The cross demonstrates that God was right to declare righteous those who were unrighteous. Because they were covered by Christ's propitiation. God, said, God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong because of the cross. God is right to say sinners are right even when they're wrong because of the cross. Because God is just, he can't just sweep all the things that we do under the carpet because he's just. As if they didn't ho happen, right? He's holy and he loves those who've been harmed and hurt and taken advantage of and abused. And so his justice must come. God, not, God does not set his justice aside, but he turns it on himself. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. So the cross demonstrates both the love of God and the justice of God. It's where the love and justice of God kiss at the cross. God demands righteousness because he is holy. He provides righteousness because he is love. God is cross at us because he is holy. He goes to the cross for us because he is love. So then, what do we do with cross equals love? What do we do with that? We've seen it's, it's inadequate. It only emphasizes one element of what happens at the cross. So this is going to be accurate. According to the passage, as I see it, cross equals love plus justice. Our presentation of the cross must include both those elements if people are going to understand the gospel properly. Is that right? And unless we understand both these elements, it will introduce distortions in our relationship with God. Because on the one hand, if you object to the idea that God is righteous, that he has righteous standards, and you just think that God is love and he permits you to do whatever you want, then that's going to be really destructive for you, right? We all know kids who have parents who let them do whatever they want, don't put any limits on them, never confront them. The kids are a nightmare. You know that when they come over to your house for a birthday party, right? They're the wild ones who are out of control. And anything goes God is a God who is uncaring and indifferent. But on the other hand, a God of wrath and justice and judgment with no mercy and no love, well... That will crush you. That will lead you to despair. Because you'll never be able to live up to his standards. You'll always be fleeing from him. The wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it shows that God is both the judge who cares enough about his world to set standards and keep them accountable, keep us accountable to him, and at the same time, he's done everything possible everything we need to restore and forgive us he is a father worth having he is a father we can have God says I'm right even when I'm wrong he says you're right even when you're wrong and God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong amen let's pray Father, we thank you for this powerful, dense passage of Scripture where the inner workings of your salvation are seen, like the inner machinations of what you did to save us are seen.
your propitiation. You taking the loving initiative to appease your righteous anger by bearing it in your own self. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your propitiation. We thank you that you presented Jesus in this way for us. If you're here tonight and you've never put your trust in Christ, the Bible says that God's wrath remains on you. The good news is that Christ's death has turned that wrath away. And if you put your faith in Christ, God looks upon you with favor. For those of us here who are already Christian, perhaps you emphasize one of those two elements. Perhaps you emphasize in your own life, in your own walk, that God is love. And all he is is love. Or perhaps you emphasize in your own life that God is justice and, and, and a judge. And it crushes you and it leads you to despair. What we've seen tonight is the wonder of the cross. God is both the judge who cares enough about the world to set standards and to hold us accountable. And the one who out of love has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us. He's our loving and just Father. May those two elements of the cross, may you understand them and may you meditate on them and may it shape your life. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come now to a time of communion, the Lord's Supper. We've already had much to think about, so I'm going to ask you to reflect on what has just been spoken about from God's Word. God presented Jesus as a propitiation. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood makes that possible. So I'm going to give you a couple of moments to reflect and spend some time with the Lord, and then I'll lead us in one moment. bread in the cup that we take this evening they focus our attention on what Christ has done as you take it in faith you will feed on Christ in your heart again receive his forgiveness receive his love receive
experience of having your sins turned away. So this is you. If you're a Christian and you trust in Christ, please stand. Come and take of the cup and the, and the bread. We'll take, please come forward, take it, and, we'll, and together in a few moments we'll eat and drink. Christ's death has turned God's anger away from your sin and he now looks upon you with favor if you are in Christ. Let us eat. The blood of Christ who has paid for your sins. Thank you, Jesus. The song we're about to sing, Pastor David mentioned it in his sermon. Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Would you stand and sing with us?
Burn to the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, what striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live in the ground his body lay Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his. Is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can never pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no power of hell, no scheme of man can never pluck me from or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand if anyone would like prayer or would like to talk to someone there's uh, Pastor Chin and Debbie down the front and uh, we'd love to pray with you or talk with you. Let me finish with a benediction. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray you'd bless each person here this evening that we would go and, with an understanding of the cross and that this understanding would shape and fuel our lives and bless our lives. And I pray it for each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.